Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTSNet2Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about. Welcome to CTSNet Roundtable. Today, we will be discussing a timely and important topic, which is advocacy. My name is Don Huey, and I'm a cardiac surgeon at UT Health San Antonio. I'm joined today by five leaders, ranging from a medical student who was awarded the SCS's Key Contact of the Year, to seasoned leaders and advocates, to our SDS Director of Government Affairs. Before we get started, I'd like to ask each of the panelists to introduce themselves. My name is Keith Nonheim. I'm a thoracic surgeon at St. Louis University, and I've been involved with uh, advocacy with STS uh, for a number of years. Hey, I'm John Calhoun. I'm a heart surgeon in San Antonio, and like Keith, I've been involved with advocacy for a long time. My name is uh, Rania Prevenza, and I'm an adult cardiac surgeon at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, and uh, a member with the STS um, workforce uh, on uh, healthcare policy reform and advocacy for quite a few years now. I'm Seth Wolf, a fourth year medical student at the University of Vermont, Larmer College of Medicine. I've been involved with healthcare policy now for about two or three years. And I'm Courtney Yo, Director of Government Relations for the Society of Thoracic Surgeons um, here in Washington, DC. Great, as you can see, we have a very distinguished panel. I'd like to start with Dr. Nonheim. Dr. Nonheim, your presidential address last year at the 55th annual meeting of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons uh, was an incredible and inspiring talk. In it, you recounted the history of thoracic surgeon leaders boldly and successfully advocating for our specialty through times of great crises. For those who are not fortunate enough to hear it in person, you can find it on the SES YouTube channel. And it's also worth rewatching for those who did have the privilege. Dr. Nonheim, could you remind us of some of those major accomplishments and talk about their impact on our specialty even to this day? Yeah, well, most people think when they're thinking about advocacy, they're talking about how we interact with uh, actually the, the, the payers, the third party payers. And the most important one for us is Medicare because better than two thirds of our patients are uh, in the Medicare population. We've had a number of victories over the years uh, when we've uh, uh, come up against Medicare, their projected cuts, it was the practice expense cuts in the 1990s. About five years ago, it had to do with abolishing the global period. That would have decreased uh, our reimbursements by 20 or 30% anyway. Uh, and then just two years ago, they uh, reworked ECMO payment and that was going to put hospitals at a big disadvantage and many ECMO programs would have had to shut down because the reimbursement was gonna be slashed. We often think of it, most of the membership think of it as protecting how we get paid. But in reality, it's not just advocacy with the payers, with uh, a CMS. We act as, uh, as go-betweens between the, the, the government, regulatory agencies, uh, the public, media, industry, and other associations. Some of our 
best achievements actually have come not with government, but with those other members. The, the one that comes to mind is the, the Taver situation. You remember when stents were first uh, uh, introduced, it was Katie bar the door. Anybody who could toss in a catheter, could put in a stents, they were used inappropriately, sometimes appropriately as well, but it really uh, decimated our profession and the, the cardiology community, the population, because they were being used wholly inappropriately uh, uh, and there was no controls. What we did back when TAVR was introduced some eight to 10 years ago, we partnered with industry, we partnered with the, the, the uh, uh, TAVR producers, we partnered with the FDA, with the American College of Cardiology and with CMS. We advocated for a rational, systematic dissemination of this new technology. So it wouldn't be uh, 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 just essentially whoever could put in a stent, put in a stent in the old days. We didn't want that happening with valves and we were able to control the dissemination of that in an appropriate scientific fashion so that first everybody got trained appropriately. We set up a database so we knew the results of every tavern placed uh, and then we projected uh, uh, a uh, systematic look at it from research first with high-risk patients, then intermediate-risk patients, low-risk patients. And over a decade, we got the, the right answer. We did it the right way with TAVR. And that was largely through the, our advocacy efforts with industry, associations, CMS, and the FDA. We, we actually have our fingers in a lot of pots. That's pretty amazing. There are, I think, examples of uh, successes and accomplishments, both reactive and, and as you point out in the uh, um, field of TAVR, is a proactive learning lessons from the past. Uh, from, for some of our audience, the term and concept of advocacy may be a new one. And I'd like each of you to share what advocacy means to you. Uh, Dr. Provenza, would you like to start? Thank you, Dr. Hui, and thank you for putting together this uh, round table um, uh, discussion, actually even is uh, virtual. So advocacy can manifest in um, various ways. And uh, for example, what we do here today is advocacy. And uh, we're, basi we're basically the patient's advocate. We advocate for our patients and families with heart disease, uh, with congenital heart disease, with lung disease, as well as esophageal disease. And this is our priority. In addition, we um, increase awareness to what our specialty can offer to treat the patients. And what we as uh, cardiac and thoracic surgeons uh, can really provide to them. Uh, in addition, we promote our specialty to be in the front front for uh, various uh, health policy uh, issues. One of the things that uh, we have actually advocated all along is to preserve the ability to use uh, real world evidence to support uh, FDA approval in the CMS um, coverage decisions. As we know, uh, we have the STS national database and the TVT registry, and uh, both of them provide um, vital information on how treatments and technologies work in the real world population. So we want to ensure uh, that CMS continues to uh, use this data to better inform for their uh, coverage decisions. Uh, in addition, uh, we want um, uh, to obtain uh, registry access to Medicare um, claims data. Um, we want to ensure that uh, registries have access to Medicare claims data. So this will enable us to, uh, ass to assess longitudinal data and inform uh, payment uh, models. Uh, 
And uh, of course, uh, we uh, support uh, the uh, GME, as we're going to talk about the graduate medical education and uh, surgical workforce. Dr. Calhoun, what does advocacy mean to you? I think Dr. Vinza did a nice job of explaining it uh, in a pretty comprehensive fashion. For me, one of the things that's most important for advocacy is uh, the GME component. And one of the things we've done behind the scenes through the uh, workforce is to try and get additional uh, payment or enough payment to keep med students like Seth uh, coming into our specialty, to keep the pipeline uh, for our specialty, whether it's esophagus, lung, cardiac, or kids, uh, that people want to come into the specialty, they see it having a future, they see it uh, being uh, considered important by the payers so that uh, the stuff we do, which is arduous and takes a long time, is compensated in at least a competitive enough way that people still want to go into it. And so without talking a lot more about it, I'd say it's the GME component that's pretty important. Great. Um, Mr. Wolf, Dr. Callahan mentioned you, and we'll get a little bit more into your story. But uh, preliminarily, what does advocacy mean to you? Keeping it simple, to me, advocacy is the ability to create sustainable and far-reaching change beyond the patients you see on a daily basis. That's the essence of advocacy for me. That's a very great, succinct uh, definition. Anybody else want to weigh in? I'm nowhere near as succinct, but everybody who knows me knows that. Um, but I would just say we are here to safeguard the specialty. And the specialty includes not just the practitioners, uh, our associates in that, our, our nurses, our PAs, our anesthesia colleagues, our, our cardiology colleagues. We need to make certain that the, the best technology available is there for our patients, that we are allowed to work as a group to efficiently and effectively treat cardiovascular and thoracic disease uh, in the American population. And anything that gets in the way of that, we're advocating against. Well, I will just wrap things up um, with a with the director of government relations hat on and say um, what advocacy means to me, go a little bit old school. Um, Dr. Nonheim, I'm betting that you could you couldn't name all five of the freedoms in the First Amendment right now, if I asked you. I'm pretty sure that you'd get religion. Pretty sure you'd get speech. Pretty sure assembly. you'd get press. Yeah. Then you have assembly. But the last one is the right to petition Congress for redress of your grievances, and that's part of what makes that makes this country and our system government a system of government special. So when I went home and told my mom that I was going to be a lobbyist, I also told her that mine was the only job that was actually the Bill of Rights. Um, and so what I see my role is for STS is giving you the tools that you need to share your story. Um, and so I helped to translate surgeon into Congress. Um, and so it, th that is what we are here to do. And all of these issues that you just heard discussed are things that uh, we, we have the privilege of focusing on and hopefully making some progress on. But it's really your voices that are the important piece there. Uh, we're just the conduit. Great. So advocacy, really sort of a very complex term. Um, 
Mr. Wolf, let's go back to you. You became involved with advocacy for our specialty very early in career. Uh, in fact, even while in medical school, you were awarded the SCS's key contact of the year in 2019. You are also on the SCS workforce on health policy, reform, and advocacy. And this is an impressive example of how early individuals can become involved. Please tell us about how you became interested in advocacy and health policy, what the key contact program is and what your experience with it has been. Thank you for that question. And um, it was a true honor to be to receive that award. So to answer the question, I'll give you a little bit of background uh, about myself. So I was born and raised in Stockholm, Sweden. And at the age of 20, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia to attend uh, Morehouse College, uh, which for those who are not aware is an all-male HBCU. After that, I transitioned to the political capital of DC um, and medical school brought me to rural Vermont. And it was really when reflecting on these vastly different political, cultural, and medical system and the su successes and failures within each uh, that spiked my interest in advocacy. Personally, I chose to become involved uh, both locally and nationally. Medical students, I feel, often have this feeling that they are they're waiting for their chance to contribute. And to me, health policy was uh, provided that opportunity to be part of providing a solution on issues ranging from tobacco prevention to the looming physician shortage. And the STS Key Contact Program is available to all STS members, and it is essentially a commitment to engage in one legislative event per year. Uh, the program also provides policy updates and advocacy opportunities. Uh, key contacts are really able to build long-lasting relationships with legislators and become champions of our issues in Congress. To me, one of the greatest benefits or strengths of the Key Contact Program is its flexibility. You can choose to attend a one-hour local meeting or engage on a national scale. Either way, you are making a difference because that is what grassroots advocacy is. It's the joint effort of a larger group of people. Great. So the key contact program is just one of the ways that cardiothoracic surgeons can have a direct impact on federal policy. Ms. Yo, what other advocacy opportunities are there and what resources do surgeons have to learn about important, relevant issues? Thanks for that question. Um, I, I, I hope that we provide uh, quite a few resources um, that, that I hope will be of interest to everyone. Um, and if you go to the STS website, of course, we have a list of all of the comment letters and all the issues and things that, that we have um, engaged on. You'll also find there the Legislative Action Center. That's where our action alerts are housed. So if you ever receive an email message saying we need you to take action, you can also find them on the Legislative Action Center. And, and you know, as Seth's, uh, uh, Mr. Wolf said, um, it, we, um, it, it, advocacy can be as simple as sending a note to your member of Congress. And we help to facilitate that through uh, the Legislative Advocacy Center. Um, of course, some of the in-person events uh, and things that we do are, are going to be truncated for a little while. Um, you know, they think the fly-in is a great opportunity and something that we're looking forward to bringing back. Um, that's an opportunity for STS members to fly to Washington, D.C. You'll receive some uh, briefing materials in advance. We'll have some programming in the evening and then send you to Capitol Hill the next day uh, with a packet of materials um, and, you know, our goal is always to make you, A, feel prepared, 
but B, also give you an opportunity to tell your story in relation to the advocacy topics or raise other issues. We're really, as I said, a conduit to, to your members of Congress. And these are your representatives in your representative government. Um, so the fly-in won't be happening uh, next year, uh, but we might try to do some virtual events that, that could um, give that sort of uh, setting. Um, we also are, instead of setting up one-on-one -on -one Hill meetings on Capitol Hill or in your member of Congress's district office, we're happy to help you to arrange a conference call or, or even a Zoom meeting with your member of Congress as a chance to sit down and share your concerns with them. Uh, through, we also uh, will help to facilitate site visits um, if that becomes an opportunity in the future where we'll help you to schedule a time for your member of Congress to come and meet you at your facility and you can show them a day in the life as opposed to having to tell them. Uh, we find that that's a really great way to make meaningful connections in those long-term relationships that Mr. Wolf was describing. Um, and, and then of course, uh, we do have the political side of things. And if you're an STS member and um, a, a US citizen, you are able to contribute financially to our political advocacy. Um, and we direct those dollars to political candidates uh, that we believe will support STS priorities. This is not a quid pro quo situation. This is not what you hear about on the evening news. This is, this is literally um, just another way that we can get an open door to meet with people who have, so, have some influence and who can help us to advance our advocacy priorities. Okay, great. Um, that all sounds great, but as cardiothoracic surgeons, we all have busy schedules with patient care, administrative, educational, and research obligations. Uh, Dr. Calhoun, you are an example of somebody who successfully advocated locally and nationally. You've participated in a lot of the initiatives that uh, uh, Ms. Yo described. You recently penned an editorial in the San Antonio Express News on Medicare reimbursement cuts. Uh, you participated in the fly-ins district offices. Why is it important uh, to make time personally for advocacy? How much impact can one individual have? And maybe you can also talk about some of the best and worst practices when it comes to speaking with legislators. Yeah, it's a loaded set of questions. It, we've been talking about why it's important. If we're not in front of them, uh, they don't know we exist. If we're not the squeaky wheel, we won't get seen or heard. So it's crucially important that uh, at least people in our specialty through the SDS, through organized thoracic surgery, take an interest in this. This is one of the many avenues that we all work to make our society and our specialty stronger. And so carving out time is something we can all do. Uh, we all can only juggle so many plates. This is just a plate that I choose to spin and, and want to spin and want to be involved with. And so with the help of many others, I'm able to do this. You're one of my partners. When I'm gone, you're covering and vice versa. So it's something you can do in a group. Um, I, I guess uh, those are my main reasons. You had one other question at the end and I'm blanking on it, but I think that's the main answer is we need to be involved. Yes, great. Um, I think all of us here are supporters of the STS PAC, which Ms. Yo mentioned. Uh, this PAC ensures that we have visibility and a strong voice in Washington and across the country. 
Uh, Dr. Nonheim, could you speak uh, specifically as to who can participate in the PAC or contribute and what accomplishments has the PAC supported? Well, anyone who's a U.S. citizen or, or another legal resident, such as green card uh, participants, uh, can uh, donate to the PAC. We, the PAC can also accept uh, donations from non-individuals, from businesses, but those corporations, practices, when it's a non-individual, those have to go into a separate fund that cannot be used directly for uh, uh, the support of congressional or senatorial campaigns. They can be used to cover expenses and some other overhead, but the real money that we need has to come from individuals. Uh, it, when that does, we have uh, a, a donation that we can, that gets us essentially out in front of uh, and on the schedule of the senator or the congressman in the key legislative committee uh, that is going to make a decision or where we need to bring up an issue. Uh, so we need as many of our members to participate in the PACs uh, as we can, because that's really how we get people's attention. The, uh, it, it's helped us in the past because when we can get people's attention, we can get stuff done. I mentioned before about the, the global period. There was a, uh, essentially, as you know, CMS makes most of its uh, decisions and most of its uh, pronouncements uh, on a relatively unilateral basis. They say they accept comments, blah, blah, blah. But after you, after you, uh, sorry, after you comment, they nod their head and say, thank you. And then they just go ahead with whatever they want to do. That's the regulatory agency. The only way we can affect that kind of regulatory agency action uh, that is uh, counter to what is in the best interest of our specialty is to work through the legislative branch. And that's what we did with the global period. When they wouldn't listen to our arguments uh, on, the, on abolishing the global period, we went to the legislature and pressure was placed on them by Congress uh, and that they reversed their, uh, reversed their course and, and that uh, global period abolishment disappeared. Uh, the same thing is now happening with the Medicare cuts. As you know, in as of uh, January, they're supposed to, because of the, the fact that they've changed the EM, the evaluation and management uh, codes, they've changed the, uh, the, the formula by which those are uh, reimbursed. Our specialty and most procedurally based specialties will actually get a decrease anywhere from three to 12% in terms of Medicare expenditure. Now, remember, this is coming in the midst of a pandemic when practices are already going under. And we are the healthcare heroes that they say, you're wonderful people, you're, it is great, we thank you, we thank you, by the way, you're gonna get a 10% pay cut. That makes no sense. And the people who are the, the most incensed and should be are the infectious disease and the emergency medicine docs. These are people literally on the front lines. I mean, we are on the front lines somewhat, but these are people wearing the respirator masks, seeing the COVID patients on a day-to-day -day basis. I know this because my wife is one of them and they're getting cut. So it, we made our arguments to Medicare. They're not listening. What are we gonna have to do? We're going to the legislature. And representative, there's a, a doctor, a representative Barra and representative Bouchon, Larry Bouchon, as you, as you may know, is a uh, cardiothoracic surgeon, as well as being an Indiana congressperson, are actually trying to put together a bill to help prevent those kinds of, of cuts. The idea of cutting Medicare reimbursement in the midst of a pandemic, when practices uh, uh, and specialties are going under, makes no sense. So. How are we going to get that done? The way we get that done is we get in front of 
other congressmen to help them back that Barra Bouchon bill uh, and help prevent this kind of cut from occurring because it just doesn't make any sense. It's not, and it's going to hurt us, but it's going to really hurt our patients because when a, a patient can't find the a thoracic surgeon to take out their lung cancer, uh, a pediatric heart surgeon to, to fix their uh, tet, or an adult surgeon to put in a taver or fix an aortic uh, dissection, people are going to die. I'm glad you brought up the Medicare cut. It's, it's such a hot topic now. Um, as I mentioned, Dr. Calhoun, you wrote an editorial. Can you, you know, I think this is another way that people can uh, have influence and, and have a voice. Can you talk a little bit about how that opportunity came to you? Sure. Um, it's really important to kind of amplify what Keith has said and what others have done on this call. The Surgical Care Coalition is something that uh, Ms. Yo Yoey um, kind of spearheaded our involvement with. And so STS has invested a couple of hundred thousand dollars on our behalf with the American College of Surgeons to the tune of, I think, $2 million of a marketing effort to counteract the very things that Dr. Nonheim talked about. Are we gonna have people die during a pandemic because they can't find a thoracic surgeon or the person's practice went under? And, and we can't have that. And we can't have cuts coming at this particular time. And so I had some thoughts about it. I spoke with somebody that was enjoined to write a much better editorial than I could write on my own. And uh, uh, with a lot of my words and notions and, and somebody really helping me from a grammar standpoint, we put together an editorial that carried here and also I think was uh, carried in other places or at least promoted in other places on our website and uh, hopefully has begun to do some good. I know I got a lot of feedback including from some legislative people in town that caught this. Yes, it's, it's amazing the audience uh, you can still reach with, with print. Um, Ms. Yo, can you give us a little insight as to uh, you know, this, the Medicare uh, reimbursement cuts? Dr. Nottam, in your address, you talked about Dr. Smith and Mayer's work in harnessing the SCS database to objectively value our work. And then Dr. Spear and Leahy, uh, they work not only to reverse proposed Medicare cuts, but they successfully increase payments for cardiothoracic procedures. And yet we're here in 2020 still talking about Medi uh, Medicare reimbursement cuts. Ms. Yo, can you give us some insight as to uh, you know, the situation? What does it have to do with the current administration? And what are the implications of a change in administration? Sure. Um, I mean, it's a little tricky, but I can, I can look in, into our crystal ball uh, just a little bit. Um, so we're awaiting still, uh, as Dr. Nonheim mentioned, the final regulation uh, that is it, that would implement these cuts. And so we've been leaning very hard on the current administration to walk back their their decision to, to implement these cuts um, and try another way to go about it. If that is not successful, as Dr. Nonheim mentioned, we do have this legislation from Drs. Barra and Bouchon um, and, and a handful of other members of Congress. We are actively soliciting support for from across the country uh, for STS members to reach out to their members of Congress to support this legislation with the expectation that um, we will be able to have this bill attached to one of the moving vehicles, one, that's DC speak for one of the only bills that Congress is going to take up between now and the end of the year. Um, in, in a new administration, um, I, I think that there are 
few things that they could do out of the gate to reverse the cuts if they so chose, um, because once this policy goes into effect, the clock starts and the money is already spent. And so you have to come up with money, uh, instead of moving money around, you have to come up with new money and it becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, our, our bills could still, um, our legislation would have to be reintroduced, um, but it could, it could have the impact then that we needed to do. Uh, we would just have to try to get it done retroactively. So we are really running up against the clock here. Um, we are not out of options and new options will develop in the new year if we are not successful, but I'm not willing to, to take my eye off the ball right now and say that all is lost. I think that there is a real possibility for us to get this legislation across the finish line and at least do something temporary um, coinciding with uh, the, the current economic and public health strain that we're, we're experiencing right now um, because of the COVID crisis. Uh, and that will buy us a little bit of time to fix the policy more permanently. Uh, no one is no one is saying that um, this is no one that we're talking to, and no one from our side is saying that this is good policy. But it may be that we need to accept an incremental measure uh, to buy us a little bit of time to reverse it. So, still a little bit of hope there. Um, so we've talked about personal uh, involvement and advocacy. We've talked about the STS PAC. Um, the STS also has a workforce on health policy reform and advocacy. And Dr. Provenza, as a member of this workforce, can you describe its role and how those activities fit in with the broader advocacy efforts of our specialty? Uh, thank you, Don. And so um, it's really uh, participating in these workforces is a highlight for me. I have learned a lot from uh, Courtney Yo and all the other leaders of the um, STS. And um, it really helped me understand a lot about uh, advocacy. What the force does is that guides and suggests advocacy priorities and policies that the STS leadership should actually support. Uh, in addition, we help promote the importance of advocacy, as we said, among the entire cardiothoracic surgical community, as well as among the um, STS equity members. In addition, we have the, uh, healthcare, uh, the health policy compendium that was created in January 2014, uh, through which uh, we review and uh, uh, every few years and update uh, SDS um, uh, position papers and policy on uh, certain uh, issues. As Dr. Calhoun mentioned in the beginning, uh, two years ago in 2018, I was actually very honored to participate on that, was uh, the uh, SDS position on um, graduate medical education um, uh, policy. Uh, where we really talked about the impeding uh, shortage of uh, cardiothoracic surgeons that was approved in, uh, from the board of directors in uh, 2018. And recently also we uh, updated the uh, STS um, uh, position on uh, tobacco policy. So there is a lot of work being done through the, um, uh, from this uh, workforce. Uh, in addition, of course, we have the uh, STS uh, Legislative Action Center, where any member can really send a message to uh, a member of a Congress for uh, various uh, healthcare uh, policy issues. 
So it's really, I think, is a very important workforce and uh, is really one of the highlights, at least for me, where I have learned a lot. Great. Uh, well, I want to see if uh, there are any closing thoughts from any of these uh, the panelists. You know, we've just come through what some people have described as the most critical election of our lifetime, and there's been a lot of political engagement across just the general public. Uh, we will have new members in Congress coming January, so a lot of opportunity, but it's important, I think, uh, to continue to participate through the uh, entire election cycle. Um, do our panelists have any thoughts about this or anything else we've discussed today? Well, I'd say that I'll bet if you looked at the specialty as a whole, uh, it's just like you look at the country as a whole, 47% are going to be lean and right, 47% are going to be lean and left. Uh, and I think it's important that we make, we understand and remember that we are actually uh, more alike than we are different, specifically because of our, our, our chosen profession, um, that we can and should work together in government specifically in this area because the betterment of our patients is, is what we do. It's what we do every day. And that includes not just our work in the operating room, in the clinic offices, but it also has to include the work that's done in, in Washington to make certain that lung cancer screening is a, is a, a right by the, according to the U.S. Uh, Preventive Health Force Task Force, that uh, uh, ECMO can be appropriately reimbursed so that hospital programs don't shut down and that ECMO is available around the country, especially now in a COVID era, that physicians are appropriately reimbursed so that practices don't go under, inappropriate cuts aren't made. Whether or not you're a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, these are key issues that you can step forward and, and support the SDS on because it's really in the best interests of, of all of our patients and of our specialty. We've got to hold together if we're really going to continue to, to make progress and prevent backsliding. It's, it's part of your professional duty. I would just add to that, that um, now is the time. Now is the right time if you're interested in, as Mr. Wolf described, forming that meaningful relationship with your member of Congress. Um, Unfortunately, the reality of today is that members of Congress start running the day that they're sworn in. They start running for re-election. That is the business. That is the business of what it is that that I do. But um, I have a, a remarkable story about um, one of our STS members who uh, got in, got to know his local representative uh, when she was first running um, as for this last election cycle. Uh, it was Dr. Levette in Iowa, and he um, he met with uh, with his representative. Uh, STS was able to support his representative. They met periodically throughout the last two years, um, and he was able to keep her educated on issues that were important to us. He was able to re serve as a resource to her on healthcare issues, even ones that STS doesn't have a position on. Uh, he just was her her sort of medical advisor. And oh, by the way, when it came time at the end of the year, at the end of this past year, when we were looking for people to introduce legislation to, to stall these Medicare cuts, uh, his representative was one of the six members who signed on to that Vera Bouchon bill before it was released. So if you, if you want to make a difference, if you want to get involved in STS advocacy, now is the time to start making those relationships. And that's what our office is here for. 
I want to really echo what was previously said. Whether you're a medical student, resident, fellow, junior, or senior attending, you can become involved. And this is a fantastic way to have an impact, and it's really rewarding work. If you don't know how to get involved, go to the SCS website, sign up to be a key contact, reach out to SCS, reach out to anyone on this panel party. Um, now is the time to do it, no matter where you are in your career. Um, so I really urge everyone to become involved and you know do your part. Thank you all for sharing your time, your experience, and your perspectives uh, to our audience. Thank you for watching this roundtable. As you can see, advocacy has been an important part of our specialty's history, and it's key to its future. We hope that our discussion here has given you insight on how you can be a voice for your patients, your colleagues, and our specialty through advocacy. Thank you for listening to CTSnet to go your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSnet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTSnet Video, by following at CTSnet.org on Twitter, or by liking CTSnet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTS Net to Go. Have a great day.